Well, I learned something this morning, uh, first service and this service. Uh, I don't know why there's not as many people here today. I don't understand that. Some people say it's the weather. I think it's because you heard I was preaching today. Uh, no, I hope not. Hope not. Anyway, it's good to be back. I haven't preached for a few weeks. So, um, Last year, I spent two months in the book of Ephesians. And I spent one month just on Ephesians 1. There is so much in this chapter and is so rich and so deep. And I want to make a suggestion. If you're looking for something to, new to do for devotional time, I don't know about you, but I have to try different things and, you know, to keep it alive and fresh. Enough. But here's an example, uh, a suggestion. Read through Ephesians and circle every time the phrase, in Christ appears, and then underline every other reference to Jesus or Lord or Christ or whatever. And you'll see that Ephesians is a Christ-centered book. So I want this up on the screen. And I don't know if you can see it from where you're at, but I've underlined all the references to Christ there. In fact, I don't even think that's, that's all of them. But that's just the portion of what Casey preached last week. Paul, Apostle of Christ Jesus, in Christ. I'm not going to read all this, but in Christ Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, in Christ, in him, through Jesus Christ, in him, in the one, in him. Under Christ, in him, in Christ, in Christ, in him. I mean, all through uh, this, this section, it is very, very Christ-centered. So what I would suggest you, find a Bible that you don't mind writing in. You know, maybe an older Bible or whatever. Or you can get one from us, you know, a cheap Bible. And circle every time you see in Christ. And underline every other reference to Christ. And it'll just remind you that Jesus is, you're supposed to be in Christ. And he is in you. He is your God and your life and your first love. We're calling this series, out of Ephesians, rightfully so, In Christ. And as Casey mentioned last week, the first half of Ephesians is our relationship to God in Christ. The first three chapters is our God relationship. And then the second half of Ephesians is our relationship to others in Christ. Husbands and wives, parents and children, boss, employee, you know, very practical things like that. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again because I think it's so helpful. The word Christian appears only three times in the New Testament. The phrase in Christ appears 165 times in the New Testament. And I think that's just a better description of our relationship to Jesus. We are in him, and he is in us. I think a lot of people claim to be Christian, but it doesn't mean much. But when you actually think you're in Christ and Christ is in you, uh, it just makes it more deep and more of a real relationship. So today we're going to read the last eight verses of Ephesians 1, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and I want this to be our prayer for Mount Pulaski Christian Church in 2019. This year, 2019, is really, really, really big in the life of this church. Now, we say that every year. I say that every year, I, I know. But this one is really, really big. Because we're going to have some major changes. And let me list some of them. Casey will become the new senior minister, and I am going to step down. Big change. You're going from an old, graying preacher to a young, graying preacher. (laughs) The timing of this is somewhat in the air, but Ellen and I plan to be done by September 1st. And if it looks like it should be sooner, we will step down sooner if that's best for the church. But right now, we're looking at September 1st. And let me be clear on this. This is totally from Ellen and me. We feel this is the time for us to make a change, and we have not at all been pressured to leave, okay? We don't want any negative rumors starting up or anything. There's not been even a hint of any pressure to leave, so don't let any negative rumors get going around. This is all on us. That means there will be some staff changes. 
the elders and staff will be assessing which direction is best to go, and that's a critical decision to be made in, in these next 12 months. We'll be doing a health assessment of the church. We did this a few years ago and feel like we need to do this again to evaluate our strengths and weaknesses. And this is where we need your help to fill out that SWOT analysis that we have available for you. Get those back to us. If you can do it online, that would make it a lot easier for compiling it all. But uh, either way is fine. We're also going to be re-looking at our core values. We're going to be looking at our vision for the future. I mean, these are just very important things in the life of this church. And we're going to be voting on the bylaws, and Mark Belay is an elder in two weeks. Uh, Casey's already mentioned that, and of course that's important. Those are some of the changes we know about. And of course there's always going to be things that come up that we don't know about and we're not anticipating, so there's always uh, uh, challenges and opportunities before us. And so one more thing we're going to emphasize in the new f- next few months is more prayer for the church. The health of this church and what is decided this year can literally have an eternal effect on people. And prayer and God's power has to be our first priority. So we're going to look at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and I want us to use this as our prayer for our church in this year, 2019. I was watching a TV show a couple of weeks ago. There was someone who was in a desperate situation with no, no human way out, no parent way out, and she really needed help, and she was telling her friend, and, and her friend just sat there sympathetically, and her friend wanted to do something, but in the end, all her friend could do was this. Shrug her shoulders. Now, as Christians, we never have to shrug our shoulders because the one thing we can do, no matter if we can't do anything else, we can pray. And it is such a powerful privilege to take someone to God and to ask for God's help in their situation, to take someone before the most powerful, completely in control being in the universe and ask for his help and ask for his working. It is such a such a privilege. That's the best thing you can do for someone else is pray for them. So Paul, when you look at him, he's always praying for his churches. He always includes prayers in his letters, and we need to be praying for our church too. So let's start. Ephesians 1.15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. For this reason, what reason? Well, what he just wrote about in the previous verses, and Casey preached last week, because of all the blessings God's given to us, because God's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, because he, God chose and predestined us, because we have the Holy Spirit who's a deposit guaranteeing our here, because we have all these blessings, and since I've heard about your faith and your love, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Are you thankful for this church? I think most of you are. I hope so. Because a thankful church is usually a healthy church. I am thankful for this church. Way back when I was um, in my first full-time ministry in Wayne, Nebraska, I was 20 years old when I started preaching. Can you believe it? And you think Casey's young, or Garrett, as far as, far as that goes. But I had a guy tell me, Mark, Mike Carney was his name, and I was a young guy. He said, the one thing I want my preacher to be, how would you finish that? The one thing I want my preacher to be is, he said, a man of prayer. I think that's not bad. I've never forgotten that. I'm not sure I've always lived up to that, but that is the most important thing I can do for you. The most important thing you can do for another person or for this church is pray for them. 
So in his prayer, the first thing Paul does is give thanks for the blessings that they've received and for the good that's in this church. The message is a paraphrase, and it puts it this way. I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you, and I would give thanks. Is that you? Every time you think of the church, you give thanks? You see the good that's in there? Paul has two things to be thankful for that we should be thankful for. First of all, I'm thankful for your faith. In Christ Jesus. Faith is foundational, of course. It's basic, but it's not easy. And so it makes sense that we should commend people when they have faith. Because faith in God is difficult. You can't see God. You can't feel Him. Can't touch Him. Can't hear Him. Can't smell Him. The Bible says He's a hidden God. Faith in God is not a given. And you have to take a leap of faith in order to, to follow Him and, and and find him and there's clues of course you can follow there's evidence that God is all around us but there is no absolute proof for God so let me commend you for your faith not everyone has it but even beyond that faith is more than just believing in God and believing in Jesus and that they exist it's also trusting and following and obeying and stepping out in faith and putting your life in his hands and giving up control and sometimes taking risks and I thank God for the people in this church who walk by faith and there's several of you I have to commend those who were here 15 years ago and took a huge leap of faith, and some called them foolish, to build this building we're sitting in today. It was pretty expensive. But the results of that faith has become a blessing to the kingdom, to our community, to our youth. You know, fifth quarters, we'll have over 100 high schoolers here. Wednesday nights, we'll have 50 to 100 children and youth. It's been a blessing. Thank you for your faith. And then 45 years ago, those of you who are that old or older, The sanctuary was built, and that was a huge leap of faith at that time. Every time you witness, every time you pray, every time you give or or, or obey, you are displaying faith. Sunday school teachers and you youth and children's workers, you have faith that the word is going to make a difference in the lives of these young people, and I thank you for that, and we should all thank you. In fact, I want you to turn to the person next to you right now and just say, thank you. Assuming they have faith and love, because that's the second one, your love for all God's people. Paul says, I'm thankful for your vertical relationship with Jesus through faith, and I'm thankful for your horizontal relationship with people through love. The 1 1 Corinthians 13 is often called the love chapter, often read at weddings. And there's two lists in these seven verses, and I'd never really thought about this until just recently. Two lists, and it's interesting to compare these lists. Here's the first one. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels who do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy that could fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now notice this first list. These are big, visible, spectacular, even miraculous things like speaking in tongues, faith to move mountains, the gift of prophecy, sacrificial giving, even giving my body to hardship actually can be martyrdom there. Um, These are the things that everyone would see and notice and say, wow, these are big acts of faith. But if there's no love, worthless. So we can do a lot of good things here at the church. We have a good children's program, great youth program, great outreach and all that, build buildings and give a lot of money and and whatever, and that's all fine, but if there's no love, so what? Now, second list, and notice how different this list is. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, does not dishonor others, 
It is not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Notice, this list is a whole lot different. These are things that are, they usually go unnoticed. Patience, kindness, not rude, not selfish, rejoice in the truth. So Paul is saying, don't look at what a person or a church does for everyone to see. Don't go by what the preacher says when he's up front. Any preacher can good look, look good up front. But look how he acts during the day. In the small bits of life, how does he treat people one-on-one? How does he treat his wife, his family? Is he kind? Is he easily angered? And Paul is saying, it's the seemingly little things that determine whether the person is loving or not. And it's the same for a church. I thank God for the love in this church. For the people who do the seemingly little things, like meals to people or a card to someone who's hurting, phone calls to check up, funeral dinners, it's things that are small, but they're really not small. Teachers and volunteers who do their labor of love week in and week out, volunteers who help with our building and grounds. Uh, by the way, thank you to the snow crew who had this place in pretty good shape this morning, really good shape. I got here at 5.30 and they were already here, some of them working. I thank God for that. And may the love in this church grow and expand. I am thankful for your faith and for your love. And then Paul has a petition for the church. He prays for them, and these are things we should pray for this church as well. I keep asking, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give Mount Pulaski Christian Church the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that Mount Pulaski Christian Church may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. It is incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now there's a lot in there, but I want you first of all to notice what he does not ask for. He does not ask for them to receive more blessings because they've already received so much. And that was in last week's text. He doesn't ask them to be protected, which we often pray for. He doesn't ask for safety, which we often pray for. And we've got to deal with safety, of course, and all that. But that's not the gist of his prayer. He asks that they would understand to know the fullest implications of the blessings they have already received. He does not ask uh, them, God to give us anything new, but rather God would reveal what we already have. He wants us to know how rich and powerful we already are. So his petition for the church is that you may know. And he says, I keep asking this. I ask this over and over for you. This is my constant prayer, that you may know some things. First, my prayer is that you may know him better. And this is number one. That you would know Christ and know God in a deeper, richer, more committed, more intimate way. Notice he doesn't say that you would know more about him but rather you would know him. Big difference. I know a lot about my wife. I know some facts about her. She's five foot two. Her eyes are not blue. She has gray hair, and I love it. I know her weight, and I will not tell you that. I know her desires. I know her heart. I know some of her sins. I know a lot about her, but that doesn't make it a marriage, at least not a good one. I need to know her at a deeper level, emotionally, experientially, and we have to have a relation that goes beyond factual knowledge about each other. And I pray that you will know God and Christ 
at that deeper level, experientially, that goes beyond head knowledge. How's that happen? Well, just like in marriage, spending time together, sitting at the feet of Jesus like Mary did, and just listening to him, contemplating, talking to him, taking your request to him. It comes from letting God's love wash over you instead of just believing it. It comes from soaking in the scriptural assurances, not simply reading them. It comes from spending time with God and with God's people, you know, the church, so we can encourage one another and instruct one another. Knowledge here is so much more than head knowledge. Head knowledge is important, but knowing him is a personal, direct thing, not just a superficial acquaintance. That's my prayer for you. Go through Ephesians. Highlight in Christ, in him, every mention of Jesus, and you'll see how it's a Christ-saturated book and to help you become more of a Christ-saturated believer. Now, we can't see God. We can't see Jesus. So that's, that makes a relationship with him a challenge. It'd be so much easier if God had skin and had a body, I mean, but he's not. He's spirit, and we are limited by our body. So it's hard to have a relationship like, like it is with other humans. So the Bible, one of the things it does is give us images to help develop this relationship so we can use our imagination. In fact, the Bible, I think it's Hebrew, says, fix your eyes on the unseen. How do you do that? That's impossible. Fix your eyes on the unseen. Well, you have to do it in your mind with images in your mind to fix it on the unseen. For instance, and here's where the Bible helps, with metaphors and pictures. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. That's an image to show we're connected to Christ and we get our life from him. And when we are not connected to him, we die. So in your mind, imagine a vine and branches and you're connected to Christ. You're, you're a branch getting your life from that vine, from Jesus himself. Another image the Bible uses is walking with Christ. And so if you're out walking or running, you know, imagine him walking and running with him just like a friend. You have a conversation with him. Sometimes, uh, this isn't in the Bible, but I use this. I will just set an empty chair in front of me and I'll talk to and just imagine Jesus is in that chair and I'll just start talking to him like, like I would with any friend. Or open your palms just to signify, I am receiving you into my being. I'm receiving you, Lord, into my, into my life and into my mind. And you have to use your imagination, and sometimes physical actions help too. It's hard to relate to a God who is spirit while we're still in the flesh. Now, someday, we're going to be able to relate to him fully and wholly. But for now, we just do the best we can. My petition, that you would know him, not just know about him. Second petition is that we may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I want you to know about the inheritance. You and I can look to the future with confidence. You and I are rich. I want you to know that. And that should give us hope and boldness. If I knew my mom had $100 billion and that I was going to inherit it, I would live differently today. I'd be a lot more extravagant than I am now. I would give freely. I would live freely. It just frees me to know this inheritance and coming. You know, some of you say to me, well, Mark, if I won the lottery, I'd give a lot. You already have. You've won the lottery. In fact, our inheritance from God is so much more, it should free us to live boldly now. I know I'm going to win. I know I'll inherit way beyond what I have now. But our inheritance, of course, is more than just physical. It's, our inheritance actually ultimately is God himself. We will live in him completely someday. So live in God today, and that will be fulfilled on the final day. 
I want you to know that kind of hope that is yours. And it'll give you confidence. I don't want Mount Mount Pulaski Christian Church to be a church of fear, trepidation, but a church of boldness. It's a hope that says our best days are ahead and not in the past. There's an old, old saying, and many of you already heard it, but I love it. It says, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. And that gives me hope. And then there's a third petition, that we may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Verse 21, this power is revealed through the resurrection and the exaltation of Christ to the right hand. And then he lists, uh, uh, says, far above all rules and authority. He lists all these authorities, power and dominion over every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. In other words, he says, any power you think of, Christ is above it in this age and in the age to come. In Jewish thought, they thought the angels were powerful. Christ is above them. The Gnostics thought the planets were powerful because of astrology. In Rome, they thought the generals were powerful. And Paul enumerates every one. And he said, every one of these are under Christ, and everyone will someday bow down to him. Can you imagine that? Donald Trump will be humbled before Christ. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer bowing to Jesus. Makes me smile. These powerful, rich, may I say corrupt? Can I say that? Rauner, J.B. Pritzker, bowing to Jesus. Buddha, Muhammad, will bow. Oprah, Confucius, the Dalai Lama. Jesus wins. The church wins. Love and faith wins. Sometimes we wonder, but we win. The power of God is with us. And so Romans 8, Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I pray you know the power that is in you through Christ. Now, it's a different kind of power. It's a subversive power. It's not bombs and physical strength, but a power of faith and love, service, humility. Like Jesus displayed, he was a very powerful force on earth, but in a subversive way. And then the last two verses are directly to us as the church. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for what? For who? You. For you, the church. You who are his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Christ does all this for the church. And then he says two things. We are Christ's body, which means, of course, we're connected to him in a very intimate way. The body depends on the head for direction and guidance. The head determines what the body will do. And I pray that we will continue to be controlled and connected to that head. And then number two, we are Christ's fullness. Now, that can be translated a couple different ways. It means either the church completes Christ or Christ fills the church. Grammatically, it's either way. But a head without a body is incomplete. And the church is created as a complement to Jesus Christ. I want to be a part of that community, that body of Christ. No other group on earth has what the church has, that connection to Christ. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be where Christ dwells, even if it's imperfect. I need the church. Because I need Christ. If I'm not part of the church, not part of the body, I am disconnected from the head. So this new year, let me challenge you to be a part of the body. That'll help you grow in Christ and get involved and pluck in. Church attendance does not mean you're part of the body. That's only one step. Only when we become ministers to one another and connect to one another can we really experience this body life. That's my prayer for you. That's Paul's prayer for us, that we may know him better and that we may know the hope that we have 
And that way we know the power that is ours and that the church will be the body that Christ intended for us to be. Let's pray. Father, we, we come into a new year with many good things before us, many challenges before us and opportunities. And Father, we know that you are the head and we more than ever need your guidance and your direction. We more than ever need connection with you. And I pray that everyone here today will make that determination, that commitment. I'm going to be more connected to the head and to the body. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the faith that has been displayed in this church over the years, the faith that is displayed by so many. Lord, I just pray that we will continue to grow in our faith and in our love. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.